Welcome to the Beeson Podcast coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University. Now your hosts, Doug Sweeney and Kristen Padilla. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Sweeney, here with my co-host, Kristen Padilla. It is great to have you with us. By the time this episode drops, we will be in the season of Advent and less than a month away from Christmas Day. And just in case you're interested, we thought we'd let you know that you can find several Advent and Christmas resources on our Beeson website. Just type Advent or Christmas in the search bar and they'll pop right up. Our guest on the show today just preached in Hodges Chapel. He is the Reverend Dr. Tim Cox, Senior Pastor of Liberty Baptist Church here in Chelsea and the President of the Alabama Baptist State Convention. Beeson, of course, is an interdenominational divinity school, but for many years we've also had a very special relationship with Alabama Baptists. More than half of our students and alumni are Baptists of one kind or another, and our faculty includes several leading Southern Baptists. Pastor Cox knows this well, and we are thrilled that he's here with us to talk about these things and a whole lot more. So, Kristen, would you please help us get our conversation started? Yes, thank you, Doug, and welcome, uh, Pastor Cox, to the Beeson Podcast. It's wonderful to have you with us. Um, as Dr. Sweeney's already said, you serve at Liberty Baptist Church in Chelsea, which we're going to ask you about, as well as your role with the Alabama Baptist State Convention. But before we get into that, we just want to get to know you better. Um, I'm looking forward to getting to know you better because I want to know, are you from Alabama? <laughs> did you grow up here? Where are you from? And um, how did the Lord call you into pastoral ministry? Thank you, Kristen, and and great questions. Uh, I I'm a native Alabamian. I was actually born in Monroe, Louisiana. My dad's a pastor, and very early uh, age we moved to Alabama, and so most of my life uh, has been right here in Alabama. Uh, so I'm a PK, and I claim home as Baldwin County, Baymanet. That's uh, where Dad pastored while I was going through high school and graduated high school and then through college. And he and mom still live in Baymanette, Alabama. But he pastored First Baptist 27 years there. And so as a preacher's kid, I've always been in church nine months before I was born. Uh, Alabama has been home and Alabama Baptists have been a big part of my life. And and so I'm very grateful for the the opportunities to have grown up in church uh, people investing into my life and um, then a, a convention of people like Alabama Baptists through our cooperative program giving, uh, investing in my schooling as I went to the University of Mobile uh, for my college work and ended up at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary and um, went there for my MDiv and back to Alabama to pastor. And so um, I am homegrown in Alabama, love it, uh, and love the, the people that God's allowed us to invest in and live life with. I've pastored several churches, one in college uh, that was in Atmore, Alabama, and it was more bivocational since I was a full-time student. Uh, then out of seminary, ended up in East Bruton, Alabama at Ridge Road Baptist Church. Stayed there uh, five plus years. Uh, our first two children were born while we were there. 
And so that that place is close, near and dear to our hearts. Uh, came to Marengo County to Linden Baptist Church, the county seat of Marengo County was there uh, just over three years. And uh, then uh, God called us to Shelby County and Chelsea, Alabama at Liberty Baptist Church. And I remember the chair of the uh, pastor search team called me and said, this is Ken Ray from uh, Liberty Baptist Church in Chelsea, Alabama. And I said, Ken, who from where? I uh, had no idea where Chelsea was, but for the last 23 years, it's been home. And it's been a joy to uh, pastor a loving family named Liberty Baptist Church. So a little bit about who I am as far as um, growing up and in the ministry and where God has taken me. I did surrender to the call uh, in ministry at a fairly young age, around 15. And um, with dad being a pastor, I had a wonderful role model. He's my hero still today. Uh, so home life was good, seeing him live out what he preached every Sunday. And, and it was true in the home. It was true in the community. Um, no matter if he had the coat and tie on or not, uh, he was the same. And great model, but I I didn't want to grow up and be a be a pastor. I just had an attitude that's not what I want to do. Uh, but as I grew just closer in my relationship to the Lord, the calling was just convincing. And it was on a Saturday night at a youth event that um, I remember the invitation given, said someone in this room, God's calling out to ministry, and I knew that someone was me. And that's I stood up. And uh, May of 1983 and uh, shared with our youth group that uh, God was calling me out to be a pastor. And I knew from early on it was to be a preacher of the gospel. And uh, that was my calling. And and from that point of surrender, uh, God has been gracious to help me uh, have purpose in moving forward with school and, and equipping and, and serving in local churches. There are a number of things we want to talk with you about, Pastor Cox, but uh, let's start first by learning just a little bit more about Liberty Baptist Church. Can you tell us about your congregation and its history? Krista and I happen to know you've got some decent people on your staff, so we, do. we want to make sure we get a shout out to them. Yes. But I think I've also learned you've had a big anniversary recently. What's your church like and what's the Lord doing there these days? Uh, Liberty is a legacy church. We just celebrated our 175th anniversary. And so uh, Liberty was one of the founding churches of what we now know as Shelby Baptist Association. Uh, in that time period of the 10 originating churches, Liberty was always a flagship church, uh, first to reach 100 in attendance. And, and so through the years, uh, Liberty has been a very strong church standing on the truth of God's word, uh, impacting a local community. And I'm privileged to stand on the shoulders of 36 pastors that have gone before me and uh, just to continue to, to carry the, the flame of the gospel forward. And our local community that used to be Melrose when we were first planted by T.P. Holcomb. And now we are uh, Chelsea, that is a fast growing city and in the state of Alabama. And so God in his providence and understanding knew that 175 years ago when he pricked the hearts of a small group of believers and T.P. Holcomb to be our first pastor, uh, that Liberty Baptist would be in one of the fastest growing cities in the state of Alabama. So looking back 175 years, we have a rich legacy 
But the most exciting thing is looking forward as to not only what God's doing today, but the the potential of impact with the gospel in the days ahead. And literally, our greatest days of ministry are in front of us. Uh, God has, uh, in 23 years, grown uh, his church there at Liberty, and um, our staff team has grown, and we are uh, delighted to be friends with Beeson Divinity School. And and it it started out that uh, students needed some credit for kind of an internship-type work in local church life, and uh, we partnered with some students. And the first one we partnered with, he's still on staff. And he is my full-time uh, executive pastor, uh, and um, we call him our executive associate pastor in Kyle Valair. And um, we have two other guys, Brian Alderman and Colton Taylor, that are full-time on staff. And uh, they they basically came on board the same way Kyle did, through interning and then part-time work, and then we we saw what God was doing in and through their life, and and uh, the excitement of them being students at Beeson and us being able to offer ministry experience as they were students, but upon graduation, uh, calling them full-time to serve the Lord through our local church. And so uh, we currently have one intern that is with us. He's brand new, just started uh, in August, and he'll intern through May, and we're excited to have William on board. But we're thankful that we're close enough to the Birmingham area and to Beeson that we can be a benefit, uh, we can benefit from these students, but also be a benefit to them. And that's part of our heritage in our church life. Howard College, back in the day, fuel pastors at Liberty Baptist Church, and early pastors had short tenures, and a lot of it was because they were students, and uh, it was part-time, and may have been paid with food and vegetables, if if anything, but uh, it's been a rich heritage for us um, as, as we've grown as a church to have students investing in and impacting, impacting kingdom work, um, and we're still glad to be a part of that. You just mentioned the anniversary and how special that was in celebrating God's faithfulness. Was it perhaps even just a little bit more special to celebrate such an anniversary coming out of a pandemic? I mean, the last two years have been very difficult, we know, for churches and ministers. So I wonder if you can just talk about how, as a seasoned pastor, you waded through ministry and leading a church and in and through a pandemic and what it's like to even now, even though we're still kind of in it, but to look back and really say, you know, God's been so incredibly faithful. Uh, good question. And and certainly um, having had some tenure at Liberty Baptist before a global pandemic hit and, and having a good staff team uh, that that could strengthen one another uh, going through it was was really uh, helpful for me as as senior pastor. Uh, seminary uh, had no way of training any of us of how in the world to minister in the midst of a global pandemic. So everyone that I knew, uh, we were networking the best we could with local pastors and, and other churches and what's going on, what are you going to do, uh, particularly when we were closing down in-person gatherings and how we were going to stay connected uh, online with people. And, and it was a day-to-day decision-making process. And um, so for us as a staff team, it, it grew us closer because we we were making a ton of decisions just about how in the world do we 
stay connected with a, a community of believers that we're not meeting in person anymore. And uh, so we shut down for uh, in-person meetings for 12 weeks uh, with nothing going on, and we recorded everything online. Uh, one of the benefits that came out of it, we learned how to do online stuff a whole lot better than we did and still maintain that. Um, it it taught us a lot about maybe where some of the gaps in ministry were. Uh, what we found out is that um, our, our church family that was connected in small groups and and had good life together with other believers there, they fared better in, than those that were either worship only or loosely connected with group life because those groups really stayed connected with each other and, and we could minister to them. And so we learned uh, some gaps in discipleship that we needed to pay attention to and understood in a, in a greater fashion that it's that, that relational aspect of ministry that, that we invest in people. It's not just about getting ready for Sunday and having a sermon that is preached and a worship set that is performed. It's about really relationship first and foremost with the Lord and nurturing that and abiding and, and gleaning his wisdom in the midst of uncharted territory. Um, and, and then investing in the lives of people. And, and that relational aspect became very, very important. And not that it hadn't been. It was just we had to find ways to stay connected. And it was relational to groups that helped us there. And, and the groups that, that were healthiest going into the pandemic certainly fared better on the backside. Um, our staff team was just, uh, it, it's all hands on deck, whatever it takes. You know, your ministry descriptions are out the window. It's, uh, Lord, how do we, how do we function today and how do we connect with our people for the upcoming Sunday? And, uh, of course, uh, God was not panicked in the midst of this. Uh, and, and there's a lot of good, I think, that came out of it. And church life gave us a chance to evaluate things that, that were either very effective or non-effective and uh, and gave us as a staff team a chance to make decisions on when we come back, how we come back and uh, and coming back, meaning uh, being back on campus together. And and those uh, decisions were started with worship only and then eventually brought group life back. And I would say we're functioning uh, as as a norm uh, people being back in full capacity, uh, but our numbers are are still below what we were pre-COVID, and um, it's what I hear is pretty common in most congregations. Uh, anywhere from sixty to seventy percent is a pretty good uh, run at uh, at where we are right now about ministering to our church families. Um, but but that time was just uh, it 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 made us compelled us to to just. Uh, pour out our hearts to the Lord and and be totally dependent on how in the world do we do this. And uh, the message didn't change. God's word was still truth and living and active, and, and it became a lifeline to us. Um, prayers of God's people became more fervent, and, and, and the spiritual renewal and growth through that uh, was very valuable. And, and coming back together, the appreciation of being together was greater. 
Uh, people were just excited to be back in person when those times came. And celebrating 175 year in person uh, was was a great joy. And um, and we're very grateful that we could uh, have Lynette Bird. Uh, with the Alabama Baptist Historical Commission, who has an office here on campus, uh, be with us in person and be able to recognize that significant anniversary. Uh, so it's, um, you know, I often said, uh, one day at a time, sweet Jesus, <laughs> you know, what do we do? And our motto became, we do the next right thing. Uh, we, you know, we, this is the day and we're going to do the next right thing that we know to do as a staff and um, fulfilling the call that God has given us to minister to his people. Pastor Cox, we have a lot of different kinds of people who listen to the Beeson podcast, but some of them are seminary students. Others of them are prospective seminary students who are just starting to sense that maybe the Lord is calling them into pastoral ministry. And I wonder if at this point in our conversation, we could get you as a a veteran pastor. I think that's the way Kristen put it. Yeah. Not that you're that old. Now I have been gray doing hair, so you say that, yeah. <laughs> uh, could you kind of speak into the lives of some of these younger folks who are just now starting out on the road of pastoral ministry and uh, give them a word of encouragement? If you had to do it over again, how would you do it? What do you want to encourage them to do as they're starting on this road? Yeah, good. Uh, I'm thankful that that our God still calls out men and women for special vocational service and ministry. And he is active doing that. I'm very grateful. And uh, looking back over 35, almost 36 years of ministry, um, uh, there's no greater joy than being obedient to the Lord in your call. And so if God is calling and pricking the heart to yield and surrender your life to him, uh, the the most joyful place to be is right in the center of God's will, and and it it will it will cost us something to follow God's call, and it costs us up front surrender. And uh, I initially, uh, as a young teenager, had my thoughts set on doing what I wanted to do. Playing baseball was a big thing to me. Uh, but I knew God was tugging and calling and, and I resisted for a little while. But when I surrendered and understood that peace, uh, that came with that and the joy of, of being obedient, um, I, I'm, I'm glad I did. Uh, my dad was, is a senior pastor and so he was that seasoned guy that I ran to. And when I began to say, I think God might be calling me to ministry and, and, uh, he never, um, uh, discouraged that. But he did not want to be the one to talk me into ministry just because he was my father and a minister. And one thing that he said, and I've heard it many times since, he said, Tim, if you can do anything else, do it. Knowing that if God's call was real, it's only going to get stronger. And that's what I experienced. And and I would encourage uh, uh, men and women that are sensing that call, uh, invest in, in that vertical relationship of abiding with Christ, because it's through that nurturing of that relationship through the word of God, by the spirit of God, that he is going to confirm uh, the call and to give you the confidence that that's what is going on in your life. God doesn't have a problem speaking. And, and when he speaks, it, it, it's pretty clear. And when he wants it to be clear, it's clear. So I, I would encourage young men and young women to 
uh, abide and trust the Lord for that next step. And when the timing is right, uh, and and the time for God's call to be clear is is there. I'm convinced that God will speak very clearly if we're willing to listen. Um, and and there is again no greater joy uh, than being in the ministry because God called you to be there. You don't want to be in ministry unless God calls you to be there. Uh, it's not easy, always. Um, it's not. Uh, free of hardship and struggle and heartache and sorrow and and difficulties. That's life, and ministry is full of that. But when you invest in people and, and they have hardships, your heart is with them as well. It's heavy as you invest. You weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Uh, it's an investment. Um, and so I, I would encourage uh, young men and young women just to abide and make sure uh, what God is saying, but God is clear when he, he calls and, um, and don't fear ministry, um, and don't look at your ability or inability to be a, a factor of, of God calling you. Uh, God calls and he equips those who he, whom he calls. And, and so don't compare yourself with others about your speaking ability, your singing ability, uh, your teaching ability, your your comfort zones in those areas based upon what you can do. But trust the Lord. If he calls, he'll equip. And, um, and, and you can trust him in that. And for those that are seminary students and, and are here studying and being equipped and uh, pursuing uh, that academic life, I, I would encourage them to soak it up where they are um, because these days of being in a classroom setting, being surrounded by your peers, being poured into by professors who know you by name and love you and want to prepare you for that next season of ministry, uh, that's a special place. Um, don't try to rush through it just to get to that place of ministry. Soak up where you're at and invest where you are. Um, there is ministry on campus with other people. Build relationships and pour into others and allow others to pour into you and practice that disciple-making discipline as a student on campus and make lifelong relationships while you're here. Um, so ministry is happening now for all of us, whether you're a student, whether you're a pastor in a church. And so just be obedient. Do that next right thing. But build relationships, invest into people's lives, and let them invest in you as you're a student pursuing the mission field or that first pastorate or ministry position in a local church. And in time, uh, that right place uh, will happen, uh, but, um, but allow God to do that, that good work in you uh, as a student. I've seen students, and I've been guilty of it at times myself, of, of just trying to get through that class, that semester, that year, where I can get through and get out, uh, so I can get through and get on the field. Uh, this is our field. This uh, Just soak up where you're at and invest where God has you today, and uh, that will bring a path of great joy, fulfillment, and um, where you're planted. So. That's a great word. I couldn't agree more. 
Um, we want to transition now into talking about your role with the Alabama Baptist State Convention. As Doug said at the beginning of the show, you serve as the president. And so for our listeners who are not Baptist, I wonder if you can give us um, some education about the Alabama Baptist State Convention. What is it? Um, how does one become president? What do you do as president? Um, how long are you serving? And, um, I, and then we'll get into talking about the upcoming annual meeting. But tell us about the Alabama Baptist State Convention. Thank you. Uh, the, the Alabama Baptist State Convention is almost 200 years old. 1823 was our start time. And it, it's a, it's a gathering, uh, of churches that are of like faith and like mind, uh, cooperating together for what we call our one mission, the Great Commission, uh, which is the biblical mandate that we all share. So it, it's a group of autonomous Baptist churches that gather together in cooperation, um, that we have like faith doctrinally, uh, but we have like purpose as well as that great commission mentality. And, and we cooperate together for the cause of the gospel being advanced uh, near and far. In Alabama, there's, um, 3,250 churches right now, uh, that, that are across our state that are Southern Baptist churches that, that we have as Alabama Baptist churches. Um, vast majority of our churches are, are smaller and uh, many bivocational pastors who are my real heroes that, that are burning the candle at both ends, but God's called them into that unique role. But, but we're an assembly of churches that gather together around the Great Commission and, and, uh, we, we have a unique financial program that many people have heard called the cooperative program. And so we all give together. Uh, and a portion of our church budget, a percentage of that goes uh, through the state convention called Alabama Baptist Convention. And then a portion of those dollars go through the state convention to the Southern Baptist Convention, which is our national um, uh, gathering of, of churches. Uh, but uh, we, we in Alabama like to say we have one mission, the Great Commission. We have many ministries Great Commission Ministries, and we have one program, the Cooperative Program, and that that kind of frames who we are and what we're about, and it's it's really all around the gospel and and the Great Com- uh, Commission. Uh, you know, how do you become president of of the Alabama Baptist State Convention? Um, you know, I guess if you you stay faithful, uh, somebody might nominate you. But we have an annual meeting, and it's coming up next week. So every every November, around the third week of November, we meet, and uh, in that annual meeting, uh, messengers are elected from every local church. Every local church is entitled to at least one messenger. And then based upon, uh, your cooperative program giving that you can, you can have multiple messengers. But, uh, we encourage our churches to have a messenger represent them at the annual meeting. And so the annual meeting is a group of messengers from all across the state that gather together, uh, to do the work of the convention. And, and by that, we will have a motion for an annual budget. And uh, that annual budget will be passed, and then we'll have other items of business that, that we will take care of that will give direction uh, outside of those two days uh, a year to then the executive committee and, and the state board of missions. And uh, those two 
com- groups really do the work of the convention in between annual meetings. And so once a budget is adopted and the allocations are there, then the executive committee makes sure that uh, those things are carried out. If there are motions that are made and passed at the annual meeting, it's the work of the executive committee and the state board of missions to to make sure the wishes of the messengers at that point are carried out. And so we're just uh, born again believers uh, that uh, join together in in cooperation around the Great Commission. And um, it's a fun place. Is it one-year term or two-year terms? Uh, Officer elections, the way uh, you're nominated at an annual meeting. And, uh, of course, you you have to be a pastor uh, or a layperson uh, of a local church. So an officer is not mandated to be a pastor or staff member, could be a layperson. And the motion is made uh, at the annual meeting, and then uh, it could be two or three people uh, named uh, or motions made to recommend as president of the Alabama Baptist State Convention, and then the messengers vote. And um, so a lot of years, it's a motion that is made for a candidate and it's unopposed. And so those are easy years when that happens. But your messengers elect you uh, to be uh, the president. And what the president does, and I had to ask that question, what, what in the world does the president of Alabama Baptist State Convention do? Uh, you moderate when you gather. So you're, you're an officer that moderates the, the gathering of your annual meeting. And that's an important responsibility. Otherwise, uh, you're, you're kind of a, a communications expert, a marketing person for the Alabama Baptist Convention that as I go, wherever I go, I'm, I represent Liberty Baptist, of course. I represent Christ first and foremost, but I'm also a representative of the Alabama Baptist State Convention. And so um, uh, it's a, a position in which you are a representative of the convention to people or to entities or groups that you go to and you moderate the annual meeting. And, of course, there's a good many meetings that, that you attend during the year that you're a vital part of, and the executive committee being one of those. So in our bylaws, the president of the state convention is the chairman of the executive committee. Uh, I think the group is, is 24 people that are also serving on the state board of missions. And, um, and so the state board of missions is made up of lay people and pastors from across our state. We're divided up in districts, so every district is represented. And the same is true in the executive committee that there's a, a fair representation of lay people and pastors. And, um, and so they come together to do the work of ministry for Alabama Baptist. You've already made reference to the Southern Baptist Convention as a whole, mm-hmm. the national body. And of course, everybody listening to us right now knows about the SBC. Yes. Uh, I wonder, though, if a lot of people know uh, the SBC more for controversies that make the news than for all the wonderful ministry that goes on in a regular way. Right. And I wonder if we could get you as a leader, at least a state leader in the SBC, to let our listeners know what you're hoping for and praying for with respect to the SBC as a whole, the national right. body. And, and what are some of the really special things the Lord is doing in the denomination today? Good. I uh, appreciate the question. We're uh, certainly living in unprecedented, uncharted times in convention life with the Southern Baptist Convention. 
Uh, I'm a rookie on the National Executive Committee. Uh, just rolled on in June at the annual meeting. So uh, I, I'm kind of drinking from a fire hydrant on that end. Uh, but as I come in and that is, as I've sit through many meetings so far uh, from a local pastor in Alabama, observing through the annual meetings of the SBC that meet every June and now having a seat on the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, there there's so much good work that's being done that gets overshadowed by the controversies that that do come and important subjects that need action, uh, and and it gets covered up. But our International Mission Board is still sending people, and the gospel is going to the nations. And some of the most fruitful work in our history is going on right now. And so we're still commissioning missionaries. We're still able to fund those missionaries, and, and that's an exciting work. North American Missions is the same way. Uh, through NAM, you have church planting and church revitalization. You have uh, disaster relief that has had an instrumental role and uh, just being the hands and feet of Jesus as we go. And so we're continuing to plant churches and see churches revitalized through the cooperative effort of Southern Baptists coming together through our North American Mission Board. And so Southern Baptists have been rightly known to be um, known for our missions movement. That's who we are. And we are just uh, rallied around the Great Commission and, and advancing the gospel. And uh, the positive thing about the Southern Baptist Convention is that is the heartbeat. And as I sit in meetings and hear from entity leaders, one of the privileges to be on the executive committees, you hear from every entity leader and you hear the heartbeat and you hear the the wins, the the victories that and the miracles that God is doing continually. And and so that's the encouraging part for me that that excites me. You know, does the SBC have a future? Well, that's in God's hands. And and uh, my sanity is that the gospel movement uh, is what we're plugged into. And the SBC didn't start that. We've been blessed to be a part of it. And if we keep our eyes on Jesus, and if we keep our focus in the right place, then we will continue to be a mission movement that is to God's glory to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's my prayer. And I hope I can have a little bit of influence to help us stay right focused. You preached uh, a wonderful sermon this morning in Hodges Chapel. We were so grateful to have you from uh, the end of Second Corinthians on the grace of Jesus Christ and his power to uh, sustain Paul and us um, in ministry and in troubled times. And we want our listeners to go watch it and listen to it on our YouTube channel. Uh, so we uh, encourage you to do that after the podcast. Mm-hmm. But could you give us a, just a little teaser, a, a window into uh, your message this morning uh, that uh, our listeners will then want to go and uh, watch the whole sermon? Uh, yes, the Apostle Paul is one of our heroes in, in Scripture, and he had every right to boast about himself. His credentials were great. His resume is impressive. Yet he chose to boast about Christ and him crucified. Uh, He chose to not live a 
a celebrity life or a life of of great prosperity, even though he might could have done that, but he chose not to be a burden on others. And and he uh, chose to live his life as an example uh, of the character and conduct of Christ. And so in Philippians, when we hear, uh, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, that attitude of humility. In 2 Corinthians, what we see very and hear very clearly is that attitude of humility coming from the Apostle Paul, because he he was very uncomfortable boasting about credentials of himself, even though he had to do that because of criticism from false teachers and super apostles. Uh, but he was comfortable in saying, you know, it's not about me. I've been through a lot of trouble and a lot of hardship, but it's all for the glory of Christ. And and the, the key passage is, is when God did not answer his prayer to take that thorn in the flesh, whatever that was. We know it was painful. We know it was relentless. And we know it sent Paul in desperate prayer. Uh, when God chose to answer it different than what Paul was praying, like he did not remove it, but he gave him a promise. My grace is sufficient for you and that my strength is manifest in your weakness. Um, that is a message that I needed to hear. And, you know, what I'm learning today, that's the message that I keep being reminded of uh, by the Lord, that my grace is sufficient to you uh, in the midst of a global pandemic. That that was it. God, God's in control. He, there's no panic in heaven. Uh, God's grace is sufficient to get us through. Let's do the next right thing that we know to do. So just the example of Paul throughout that passage and then his boasting and, and his weaknesses and difficulties for the sake of Christ. It wasn't just to pride himself that I endured, but it's that Christ may be exalted. That in Paul's weaknesses through hardship, uh, that, that Christ is lifted high and the gospel goes forward boldly. And um, so for the sake of Christ, Paul gladly endured whatever came his way in order that Christ may be exalted and the gospel can go forward. And so um, at Liberty, we've kind of wrapped around a passage a little bit later in um, in 2 Corinthians 12 when he says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your very souls. And so Paul was not about receiving. He was about giving. And he was not, not about... Uh, uh, building relationships in order to benefit from others, but he gave himself totally that others may know the Christ that had apprehended him. And so uh, sufficient grace for any circumstance in life, uh, any hardship through ministry, global pandemic, whatever it is, uh, God's grace is sufficient. And and he's, he's an on-time God. Uh, his grace never runs out. Um, nothing, uh, nothing surpasses his knowledge. If God has allowed this, even a thorn in the flesh to come, he has a purpose in it. And so Paul realized that and, uh, he embraced the thorn after God refused to remove it. 
and and he did that for the sake of Christ. And and I just think for us in ministry particularly, or just a, a follower of Christ, that's the way we look at life. And so many times we can have our own pity party when ministry is hard, life is not good, it's unfair, struggle times are here, people are opposing us. Um, and, and it's okay to pray and ask God to deliver, but if he doesn't, then our attitude of surrender and embracing where we are for God's glory um, is is what we need to do. And I'm, I'm being reminded of that over and over and over again. Um, I, I am uh, in a second marriage due to cancer in our family, my wa- first wife dying of cancer. And so the grace of God being sufficient in hard times, even in ministry, uh, is very real. I understand that. Uh, you know, I heard about it, but I've lived it and had some experiences in life that that has affirmed that. And so I'm very grateful that, you know, Paul gives us that great example that, um, you know, somebody that lives a, a holy life like he did and had a courageous face, faith like he did, uh, life wasn't always easy. And so it's just a reminder for us, we don't need to expect it to be easy. Uh, but God is gracious and God is faithful and he'll use it for his glory if we, we surrender ourselves to him. Tim, Kristen and I always conclude these interviews by asking our guests what the Lord has been teaching them recently. Mm-hmm. So here we are asking you, what's been going on in your life recently, and how has the Lord been speaking into that in a way that you might commend to our listeners as a way of edifying them in their faith and walk with God? Good. Uh, I, well, coming through the pandemic on the other side, that's uh, a good reminder I'm not in control <laughs> because it was all out of control. But God is in control. And, and uh, you know, if he has allowed it to come your way, and if to the best of our ability we are surrendered and living in obedience to him, then he will guide us through it. And, and again, just do that next right thing. Uh, two weeks ago, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. So uh, what is God teaching me? It's the same message. It's uh, you're not in control, but I am. Uh, my grace is sufficient for you. We had no idea when we picked out these topics of uh, the timing of what would be going on in my life personally. But as I studied and, and I was so refreshed to be reminded of the sufficient grace of God in every circumstance. And, and so that, that's been um, something that gave me great joy and getting ready for today. And it's a fresh lesson in my life. It wasn't just a sermon for chapel. It's something I'm, I'm living and having to be reminded of that, all right, even if cancer comes your way and it's come home to our family again, that God's grace is still sufficient. And uh, if, Lord, this is my lot, then teach me to say it is well, it is well with my soul. But even more than that, help me steward this season for your glory. And I don't understand it, don't like it necessarily when these kind of things come. But my prayer is that God will help me steward through it, that Christ may be exalted and be for his glory, and that others will be pointed to Christ in the midst of it. Amen. You have been listening to the Reverend Dr. Tim Cox, Senior Pastor of Liberty Baptist Church in Chelsea, Alabama, just down the road from Birmingham. He currently serves as president of the Alabama Baptist State Convention. 
He is a faithful minister of the gospel of our Lord Jesus. We're grateful to you, Tim, for giving us some time today. And we're grateful to you listeners for tuning in. Uh, We're praying for you and we ask you to pray for us. We love you and we say goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast. Our theme music is written and performed by Advent Birmingham of the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. Our engineer is Rob Willis. Our announcer is Mike Pascarello. Our co-hosts are Doug Sweeney and myself, Kristen Padilla. Please subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at beesondivinity.com slash podcast or on iTunes. Thank you.